Welcome back, everybody, to Rodeo Radio, episode 145, and I want to thank everybody that's tuned in, everybody on the live chat, everybody who's commenting, everybody who's liking, everybody who's sharing. So we want to thank you guys, because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys. Uh, with that being said, you know what? I don't have much announcements I want to make. If we do, I'll put them on the, uh, during the breaks. But uh, before I introduce my very special guest, I just want to announce something that uh, when Rodium Radio started uh, about a year and a half ago now, uh, I started out with interviewing a lot of people that I consider pillars, or if you will, the aunts and uncles of West Coast hip hop. For an example, Violet Brown, somebody like Lonzo uh, from the World Class Wrecking Crew, Klein Tell from the World Class Wrecking Crew, Arabian Prince, former member of NWA, uh, yeah, I've had Tony G, you know, one of the founders, if you will, of the Chicano rap sound here. Be real. We've had um, so on and so forth. Calvin Anderson. You know, we've had so many people. Uh, Carmelo Alvarez, the, uh, the owner of Radiotron. Um, Chris, the glove Taylor. I mean, how can I forget, forget him? There's so many people that have been here that have so much history. And uh, my guest here is one of those people, at least in my opinion, that I consider to be not only a pillar, but also a founder of what we call today of Chicano rap. He was a major, major contributor to uh, Chicano rap, at least in my opinion, and we're going to let him talk about it. So that's why it was important for me to have him here today, because this is history that is being told to this generation. Now, many people of this generation may not care about history, but it's still important to document his story. I think, I believe it's very, very important. Another person that I would like to also shout out is, um, um, many of the people that have contributed to Rhodium Radio here that have come and given their stories. You know, um, uh, for an example, uh, many people have come and have told me, Tone, if it wasn't for you, my story would have never been heard because there's a lot of people that don't really care to interview people like us. For an example, uh, guys like Joe Cooley, one of the greatest DJs in the world, um, has been here. Many, many people. Uh, Murray Brunfield, the first Chicano rap label, he was here and he shared his story. So I just want to thank all these people that uh, um, have came and have blessed us with great interviews. And tonight will be another one of those great interviews that you can add if you will in your collection of uh great interviews and founding fathers of what we call not only west coast but also chicano rap history so with that being said uh without further ado please allow me to introduce 
Cliff Ritchie. How you doing? All right, sir. How you doing? I'm good. You know, that was quite an introduction right there, huh? Yes, it was. <laughs> well, you know what? I like to give credit where credit is due, and I like to give, you know, your props. I like to give people their flowers, you know, for being a major contributor to uh, what we call West Coast Hip Hop. Um, a lot of the people that I mentioned, you probably know personally, or at least know who they are. Right. You know, uh, you've dealt, I believe, with everyone. You've traveled everywhere. Uh, you actually formed a group that everybody knows, Ladder Shade of Brown. Correct. Yeah. So, and I met you in the 90s, early 90s. And the last, I think the last time I seen you was late 90s. Uh, uh, I believe you were still with Lighter Shade. And uh, I was on I was on the road with you guys with Mellow. I was producing and DJing for Mellow, Mellow Man uh, at that time. Now, I hadn't seen you since then, but it's good to see you. It's good to catch up to you. I, I know you're not on Instagram. Right. You you are on Facebook. So if people want to re reach you, your Facebook is uh, Cliff Ritchie. Right. And you guys can find him on Facebook. Today, everybody's either on Twitter or Instagram. You know, uh, when it comes to my Facebook, I just post and I get out, post and I get out. 90% of the time, I'm on Instagram. Right. So, but with that being said, man, it's good to see you. It's been over 20 years. Yes. You know, over 20 years. And I'm thankful that, um, that I can call you and say, Hey, man, why don't you come down and chop it up with me? Uh, I think it's important for your story to be heard. I'm glad you did because I feel it's important that uh, my story is told and that people really understand that this game, you can't do it by yourself. There's always somebody that is behind you that believes, you know, in you to help you tell your story, help you achieve yes. you know, one of your dreams. And it's very important to tell a story, you know, because um, I had an individual here, a good friend of mine named MC Pancho uh, from the Harbor area. He lived, doesn't live too far from me. Okay. He shared how he helped a lot of Chicano rappers uh, release their first product out, the first several CDs. And yet he had never ever received a, a thank you except maybe from one out of maybe 20 people that he helped. He funded their projects. He was sharing with us and he never mentioned no name, so he never disrespected anyone. Right. Uh, he would lend them the, his house, his cars, his jewelry, his champagne bottles, money, and never once did he ever receive any type of credit. I believe it's important to do that because my very first job at 11 years old was given to me by Steve Yano. He was my mentor. He was like an older brother to me and uh, a father figure to me. Right. And through Rhodium Radio and through the documentary that I directed, um, his name will always live on, you know? And, and I believe that I, I did that because I wanted to, I felt compelled to do it. And uh, I wish other people would start giving credit where credit is due, like to yourself, Right. you know? Lonzo was here and he said that nobody's ever thanked him for anything, yet he funded so many projects, you know. And I like to shine light on people that did a lot of things behind the scenes, never got credit for it, you know. So with that being said, we're going to get into all that. And I'm sure people are going to start logging in. People are going to start calling people in to tune into you because they're going to be concerned. What is Cliff Richie going to say? <laughs> okay. But with that being said, Let's just chop it up a little bit, man. Okay. How, how was your weekend been going? Weekend was uh, it was cool. Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing to write home about. But it was it was a working weekend. 
Okay. Now, now, what does Cliff Richie like to watch on, on whenever he does have time? Are you a movie guy? Are you a, a, doc, a documentary type of guy? I'm more documentary. Um, if the movie's about a anybody in music business, recording artist or, or producer or whatever, I'm, I'm there looking at it. Okay. Um, we had, I think it was the uh, late, was Billy Holiday story that just ran. Great movie. The movie about Martin Luther King, not, not Martin, but um, Jim Brown and, and Sam Cooke meeting in, in Florida. That was cool. And when you, I just like to know stories. I like to know that that, that they were out trying to do something or, or they got railroaded, whatever. And I'm, I love those type of movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, I believe our generation loves history. We love that history, you know, whether it's music history, with sports history, or even murder mystery history, right. whatever. You know, uh, come to find out in this generation, a lot of this generation doesn't like history for some reason. They just like whatever's out right now. It's right. dope. But I'll tell you, um, if you haven't watched Hip Hop Uncovered, uh, check that out. It's okay. a uh, it's a docu series, six episodes. I just had the director here, uh, Rashidi Harper. And he gave a story how he interviewed Big U and he interviewed like six people that all these people were behind the scenes and made everything happen for not on East Coast and West Coast hip hop. It, it was an untold story okay. that, that needed to be told. Um, I seen one not too long ago called Crack and um, on Netflix, very, very good. Talks about the crack epidemic. But what I liked about it, that they included a lot of hip hop. Right. You know, because it almost seemed like crack and hip hop came in at the same time almost, <laughs> you know. But uh, I'll tell you what I did see. My favorite comedy movie of all time, Coming to America, and I finally saw part two today. Okay. Have you seen it yet? I've seen the the both of them. Part two, I think, is a little bit more funnier because everybody's older, yet they're still kind of doing the same thing. And uh -huh. I like this, the family, you know, family connection and trying to keep, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep keep the peace. Okay, know? okay. Now, do you think, as far as comedy is concerned, it lived up to the first one? I want to say yes because it, uh, he carried it. I mean, you know, he had everybody he could have in there. Everybody, you know, um, um, Leslie Jones even just came out. You know, she's kind of hard sometimes, and she came out, you know, sparkling. Um, I liked how Vogue was there. You know, it just it was it was a really good movie. Salt and Pepper. Uh, um, uh, what was her Midnight Train to Georgia? Uh, Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight. Yeah, he had a lot of people. Now I'll be honest with you, maybe because it came out in the eighties. And I love the 80s, to me, the best era of music, <laughs> that I liked it that much more better than the second one. I will say the second one is worth watching. Check it out. You'll be the judge, right. you know. But, um, but yeah, he had everybody on, on there, and especially when he went to the barbershop, the way they did that. It still did the, the, the makeup and the characters the same. It's, you know, it's like um, a mind at work, you know, really yeah. doing it. And I appreciate what he's done. You know, at least hope that um, um, other cats can get in there and, and, and just have a career as a comedian or have a career making movies. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, let me ask you a question. Okay, because to me, there's Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. Who is the next one? Who is that one that you think can pull that weight like a Richard, like an Eddie? It, or has there been one? I don't think there has been one since. No, me, me neither. You know, uh, Dave Chappelle, he's a great comedian, but he's an he's adult. You know, he's not yeah. really into the nasty stuff. Um, 
I think the Waynes, Damon, and, and they had a chance to make it happen, but they just they didn't. You know, they didn't. I thought Martin could have been. Yeah, you know, maybe a Chris Tucker could have been, but nobody's ever lived up to those Richards and Eddies no. yet. You know, now, now let me ask you this: uh, uh, Where originally are you from? Where did you grow up at? Uh, Riverside, Riverside, California. Really? Yeah. I don't know why I thought you were from South Central or somewhere, man. <laughs> No, I love South Central, but um, I did a lot of business out here uh, for for a while. So that's where people see me. All, uh -huh. all the business was done out here. The record plans, we're going to radio stations for for a music day. Um, when you're soliciting your product to all the stores, like you had to be out here. Yeah. But okay. um, Riverside was where I created. Um, I found my artist. Um, I was a concert promoter for for some time, and that's how I was able to build up um, relationships with radio before I even made records. You know, because radio stations wanted tickets for the concert. They would advertise it. You know, you work with a promoter, and it's, it's just about relationships. Yeah. You're trying to do the best that you can do and make sure that the artists that you book show up. Everybody gets their money's worth, and, you know, um, um, everybody leaves a concert feeling yeah. Really happy. Yeah. You know what was so dope about concerts back then was that, man, we didn't have the cell phones, okay? Everybody participated in the concert. Right. Everybody. And today now, the sad thing is that most people don't enjoy it because they're too busy making sure they have the right shot. Right. One of the last shows I went to, uh, Quick was performing, and it, it literally looked like there must have been maybe about 3,000 people there, okay? And the whole arena, the whole place literally looked like they just had their cell phone up. Wow. And when he was saying, you know, wave your hands in the air, you know, nobody was doing it because they're, they're trying to make sure they get that right shot. And me being a DJ, you know, uh, I looked forward to the reaction of the crowd whenever I would go up and start, you know, cutting some shit up, play some intro music before High Seat came out. The crowd would start going crazy. Right. Now they're just, you know. But now, uh, I, I want to get into it. H how did Clip Richie form or bring Lighter Shader Brown into fruition? Well, thank you for asking me that question. Um, I was tired of the rap game in, in general. And so I was laying back, um, still wanted to do something, you know, musically. I had Big Lady K and we were trying to make some stuff work with her. She was the only female ever signed directly to Priority Records. And, um, you know, um, in any case, she uh, she went to school in Los, you know, at La Sierra High School. She kept coming to me, telling me about this cute guy. He's a Mexican. He has a shag and he can rap. I mean, that was the main thing that she was saying. He can really rap. And I think um, it took me almost six months to even holler at him. I saw what I think I meant to not, what was this? When um, Mello was on um, Delicious Vinyls. Yeah. The Cowboy. Um, uh, uh, Rhyme uh, Fighter. Rhyme Fighter. They didn't do anything. And Frost even had a, a first record. They didn't do anything. So I figured if these majors can make it happen, then it wasn't going to happen. And I, I will say literally overnight, La Rosa blew up, Mentorosa blew up, and that's when I said, okay, let me let me play around and see what we can do. Yeah. Um, did some demos initially on Robert, because it was just him and um, his partner, Fabian Alfaro, and I just couldn't, uh, took it around to certain, certain labels, and I just couldn't, you know, they just weren't interested, you know? Um, once we had Bobby uh, join the, um, the group, and how he joined the group is, I had studio booked at Paramount, Robert decided he didn't want to come to the studio. He wanted to go back to Santa Ana and celebrate one of his homeboys' you know birthday. 
you know, uh, so Bobby was just in the studio with Fabian. I said, do whatever you want to do. And he started mimicking everybody under the moon. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll have a rapper who can mimic and we'll make, you know, money from that. But uh, he wrote, you know, wrote a quick little rhyme, did his stuff. Again, I couldn't get it sold. And Jam and James was like, let's put them together. I said, you know what, let's do that. And he was our producer and the group was born. They were put together and um, lasted a good amount of time. Most groups put together don't last that long. Right, right. Okay, so Light of Shade at first was just Robert? Yeah, it was just Robert. And and so you had already did demos or we're going to start working? We already had, how, how I did things is I'd, I'd have the track already basically rough done and I would actually tell them what I wanted to be about. They didn't like it because that wasn't them being really true, but like, yeah, it is you being true. I'm just giving you an idea. Everything you write is going to be, you know, from your perspective. And um, once we got that, that down and they realized there was a formula, it started working. So, so how did Bobby end up in the studio? When uh, when Robert and Bobby did they even know each other? No, they didn't know each other. Okay, Fabian knew Robert from me bringing him to the organization. Bobby was a friend of his from you know when he was young. So he just happened to be there. Yeah, he you know rode Fabian to the studio, uh, go here or there just to, something different to do, and um, I liked I liked um, Bobby's little little his little vibe. Um, I know he's a hundred percent Mexican, but he lucky he was Filipino. So that kind of helped uh, helped out a lot, especially up in the Bay and um, in uh, Utah and a couple other states, because they were showing him down. He was, you know, Filipino. So we didn't say he wasn't. We just, you know, rolled with it. Now, 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 now let me ask you this: Why would that be a good thing? Because everybody at a radio station, a crossover station, they're all Filipinos. The music director, the, the 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 MD, the you know they. So I figured if I can appeal to them, then we can appeal to everybody else. You can't. You want you can try and be the best rapper that you can, but if you're not getting airplay, it's it's not gonna you know it's not gonna happen. And you got all these kids now doing the videos and all that stuff, and that's cool. But it's nothing like having uh, your stuff being played on Power One Six, you know, or driving up the coast from San Diego to the Bay, and every time you come to a city, you hear your song, you know, being played. Yeah. You know, and um, it's the, the hard work is not there, you know? Right. And that really bothers me a lot, you know, it bothers me too much, you know what I'm saying? But if somebody, I wish, I'm waiting and hopefully I'll be able to work. I need, We need a super Chicano rapper, and I hate the term Chicano. We need a bomb-ass rapper who happens to be of Latino descent or Mexican descent. And I I know he's out there, or she's out there. It's just um, they don't want to put the put the effort out there. Right, right. You know, now, now, now let me ask you this, because I have an announcement that I'm going to make at the end of the show about me and music, okay? But now, uh, as far as Robert and Bob, so Robert's not there. You record Bobby? Yes. Okay. When Robert hears it, w w what is his reaction? Um, he didn't have a reaction. You know, initially he just, okay, well, I didn't mean to leave you hanging at the studio. He really didn't care about Bobby until we put Bobby into the group. And, you know, he didn't have a say-so over it. Um, and it wasn't that I was trying to be upset or, or I mean, trying to be angry. It's just I noticed that when a label controls the group, that group is very successful. My number one concern is to have a, the most successful group anywhere. You know, and 
it, it bothered me. Um, I think we put out Latin Active. We started getting airplay in Atlanta. They have phone calls on it, but then they decided to back off of it for the simple reason they don't have Latinos in the marketplace. And they did, even back then. But if, if they're afraid of something or if it's not black, they'll, it's hard to get, um, to get action on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know that, th that rap slash hip hop is, is the black industry. We, we know that. And it's always, I believe it's always been very hard for a Latino to really break in. You know, in, in into this industry, and the reason why I use Latinos because I know there's a lot of Mexicans that hate the word Latino, they hate the word Hispanic, and I'll tell you why I use it to generalize everybody. I was a proper 106, and I kept saying I want to give a shout out to all my Mexican people out there. This was like 1993 when I produced half of a uh, High C second album. Okay, and people were calling in, "Hey, I, I'm not Mexican, but I support. I'm Guatemalan. Hey, I'm Salvadorian. Hey, I'm from Ecuador." So I would ask people, "My apologies." How do I refer to you? Some people will say, oh, refer to me as Hispanic. To all my Hispanic people, then I started getting calls in that same interview. I'm not Hispanic, man. I'm Latino. <laughs> my apologies. I'll, general, I'll include everybody as Latino. Hey, man, I'm not a Latino, bro. I'm Chicano. I didn't know any, you know, I'm like, okay. I'm just going to say to my people. Right. So, but what, what, what do you think has been very, very hard for a, a Chicano if you will, to break in to this industry. We had the success of Frost with La Raza, okay? And even though Melo's Cuban, uh, uh, um, he, he got a platinum record. Frost got a gold record, I think platinum as well. Lighter Shade of Brown comes in, then you had Proper Dose, there was some success there. You had Toker, Brownside with Easy, right. there was some success there. Uh, I saw it as they were going up, but we've never ever, I believe, have had the Snoop Dogs, the Kanye West, the 50 Cents, what, 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 what do you think that is? Truthfully, a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of, when it comes to Latinos, if you, you'll go back and, and look through their history from way back with, with, uh, with, with Malo, you know, they, they don't, they think they made it when they didn't really make it, you know. They've been working hard and then they get a record deal and they think, okay, that's it. That's when the work really does, you know, it really does come in. And, and, it, that audience is looking for somebody to 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 reach out to. Yes, you know, um, with lighter shade, we had um, 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 El, you know Elvario. We had um, 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 some, we had a, 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 did a history song, which they didn't want to do. Uh, Caesar Chavez, I think it was. And I'm like, dude, if you guys don't do this, who who Public Enemy's not going to do it. NWA is not going to do it. And that was one of the bigger records, not even being as a single, just because kids learned and teachers were able to. You know, to use that. And what song was that again? That was uh, the um, Pancho Villa song. The, um, yeah, Pancho Villa. I'm sorry. Yeah. And um, it, it makes the group look smart. You know, I, I was always behind the scenes, not really a, a front man, but I wanted to have the most smart, smartest artists out there. Yeah. You know, and um, now at the time that you met Bobby, how old was he? Bobby was still. Bobby was actually he was 21. Okay, so so and this when you met him at Paramount. I met him at Paramount when he was just turned 20 and he would be around also you know uh, uh later on but it was just concentrating on dealing with robert and we always had to build the scale our schedule around him which was very you know um, um upsetting and it's not that i'm out after him but I'm, I'm 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 able to talk about it and you know um um hope that you know people understand when you do get that success you you keep it you know you, you make it work 
Um, that's why the, the rock bands have been around for so long because they know what formula works. They're not going to go in and do anything crazy to stop, you know, stop their train, their money train from coming in. Right. Um, relationship with radio management has to have a good relationship. But you as an artist, you have to respect the DJ. You have to respect the music director. Um, you know, um, a lot of times they don't. They step right over him, and people remember that. So when you come in with another record, put it on the side. Yeah. You know, never see the daylight. Yeah. Now, now you uh, you guys release Latin Active. Yes. You guys had uh, Teardrop on there. Yes. How did, did she come about being on that song? Um, her boyfriend um, and her partner now is his name's Chulo, great writer, and so he was on board helping us write you know write songs. Um, after T.J. Knights, I think the label said we need an album. We need like in three weeks. So I had four studios booked and just slaving away trying to get the album done. Um, but I need a girl rapper. Yeah. I didn't know one. He goes, a girl, she can rap a little bit. So she came in, she tried it out, and she came back and did it again and was just, just on point with it. And, um, Cliff, is it safe to say, and I'm sorry for, for interjecting, but is it safe to say that Teardrop was possibly before JV? Actually, you know what, from, from timeline, she was before JV. Okay. You know, um, JV was dope though. Yes. I mean, seriously, um, it's like, um, she was too, you know, well, speaking of JV, she was too much for for radio, you know? She wanted to be the the, the girl that, that could handle herself in the hood and, and in ciphers and so forth. And she was great, but no girl really wanted to get into a girl like that. Not at that time. Not at the time. And radio stations were still in video places. So, you know, we needed somebody just softer. These stations and radio stations didn't want to be playing six great records and they play a record that people don't like because people turn the station. They turn the station nine times in ten, they don't go back. It's just a simple, it's just simple recipe. Right, right, you know, right. And, and instead of trying to add to it, just do it. You right. know, and, and, and you'll see, you know, doors open up for you and you be receptive and give, give radio what they want. Right, give radio what they want, exactly. And that's the problem that I had with working with a lot of rappers. They had the mentality of fuck the radio. And in my mind, me being a fucking DJ, you know what, bro? If I can't hear this in a club, if I can't hear this in the radio, if I can't hear it, you know, if I can't set, see it in a video, I'm not doing the song. I'm not playing the right. song. You know what I'm saying? You got to give the label and the radio something to work with. You got to lose that mentality that I'm just dope rapper and I just want to drop lyrics and uh, I'm sorry. It, it just doesn't work like that. You got to give radio what they want. Yeah. So Teardrop drops the verse. Yes. Okay. And uh, um, that was the first time, and I shared with you before we went live at one of our first shows in 1990 with uh, uh, with High C. I went to Arizona. Uh, actually, it was 1991, early 1991. We went to Arizona. Our show, we did a show with King T. And then the next day, we did Johnny Lozoya car show. You know, I, I still I still remember. I'm not sure if it was Mesa or Tempe, Arizona. But we performed with Lighter Shade. Uh, Steve Yano, rest in peace, still has the video of that show. And that was the first time I ever saw a female Latina rap. And I was and the, and the crowd went insane. They loved it. That's when I saw we're on to something here as a people, as a culture, we're on to something here. And what happened? Um, her boyfriend Chulo was a rapper as well. He brought her into the game, and right. you know the sign that she was getting that she was going to get. He felt was 
was for him. You know, he put in the work with the group and so forth, so he should be, you know, next to come up. Right. And um, I even told him, you know, uh, both of them, we could do a couple of duets. There's not a, a solid rap duet, you know, uh, right. team yet. Um, or just just wait your time, you know. It's better to go to radio saying, he wrote this on this and this on Now, here is his, you know. Right. And he just, um, he was upset with that, and she didn't want to upset him, you know. So she just backed out of it and just, no matter what, what we tried to do to get her back on board, she was always going to um, overshine him. Yeah. You know, I, and I've met couples like that in the 90s when I was heavily into production that uh, there, would, there would be a girl that would send in her demo and she would send her, her next uh, demo was her boyfriend's, okay? Steve Yano would sit me down and goes, play that cassette and I heard this girl and I said, I think she's pretty damn dope and he goes, yeah, he'll play that cassette and I heard this guy rap. I thought he was a dope rapper but he didn't have that it factor right. like she did. Right. So he goes, here's the problem. He controls her, and he said that if I'm interested, he's got to come with it too. And he said, I, I told him, I I'm not feeling you. I don't know who I can sell you to, right? but I can sell her. Well, the deal didn't happen because he wanted to get signed first. Ultimately, I guess he felt intimidated that she was going to outshine him, and it didn't work out. Look, if I was in that situation, and that was my girl, baby, go. Yep. Go. This is your dream too? I I want to be a man to, to be able to say, you know what, fulfill that dream. You know, I, I'm going to be right there behind you or whatever, you know. And I think sometimes, and I'm not saying this is the case with that. Could be, I don't know. But I think sometimes uh, that's what happens in relationships. That's why some of these females disappear. Because since I've started Rodeo and Radio here, everyone has uh, uh, um, requested Teardrop. Even just for one verse. Right. They requested her. They requested JV. I managed to get a hold of JV. She said she didn't want she don't want nothing to do with music, interviews, no nothing. And I've known JV for years. I've known JV for a long time. But that's what she said. She wants nothing to do with it. So Yeah, a lot of them just said their experience was um was not as, as smooth as they would think it should be, or it's not what they thought it was with with uh, how MC likes she must have the best, you know, um, um things going through. You know, it's hard out there for you know, for, for a female. Um and those who who Say so, you know, fuck it, I'm gonna do it and do it. I, I have to commend them. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. You know, I didn't have a chance to have a girl group. I wanted to have a girl group like like the uh, um, show me the cover girls. Yes. Or you know, I wanted a group like that. I knew I could promote one. I just couldn't find one. Maybe one girl could sing, or two girlfriends couldn't. You get them in the studio, and then boyfriends are there because you're in the studio at eight o'clock. Supposed to be here. Who's a guy I heard just. Just not understanding what the you know what the process was. Right. Uh, uh, me and Mello went back to Arizona. I want to say ninety six, ninety seven. Okay, and we did a lot of shows out there because I was that's what I was producing Mello's album that never came out, and uh, that was the second time in Arizona. The first time was Teardrop, where I saw uh, they gave they had like a, a freestyle. Any female that wanted to come up and bust. Right. Man, there was three females that fucking went out there and wrapped their fucking asses off. I try to make my way like, hey, how you doing? I produced this record. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Right away, her boyfriend's, no, talk to me. <laughs> when I get that, honestly, I'm good. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I'm good. It's not worth your time. It's not worth my time. I try to work in with one female, and her, her man was behind me the whole time, you know, and I just literally had to tell him, hey, man, can you, like, just relax? Like, relax. But they wanted to be in control of everything, right. and I think those type of relationships ruin a lot of people's careers or chances so 
with that being said, okay, so a lot of Shader Brown, what year was that that record came out? Was it 1990? The uh, Latin Active? Yes. Latin Active was, actually it was 1990. I, I kept thinking that even though the group, the album was released in 1990, uh, TJ Knight's actually had an 88 um, um, trademark date on it. Yeah. And we, were, we worked that record, you know, uh, as long as we could. The original version had the proper sample in it, but I couldn't get it cleared. What sample was that? Well, TJ, I mean, uh, one of these nights by the Eagles. Oh, okay. You know, and um, one of the guys in, in the Eagles loved it, the other guy didn't, and if they didn't both agree on it, no samples would be, you know, would be cleared. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and press pause right there. We're going to take a break, and we're going to talk a little bit about sample clearance. Okay. Because there was a lot of samples that you got cleared for a lot of people, and uh, uh, what a lot of people don't understand about sample clearance, like back then you had to pay. You had to pay. We had to pay for. I'm not. Uh, I'm your puppet. We had to pay for sitting in the park. You know. Uh, um, so, but we'll get we'll get into it and we'll finish uh, wrapping up the whole ladder shade and then we'll get into more Chicano rap. Okay. So, cool. okay, everybody. So uh, once again, um, we're just giving you guys a little history lesson with uh, uh, this is Cliff Richie 101. So make sure you guys tune in. Call somebody. Text somebody. Slap shit out somebody. Let them know that Cliff Richie is in the motherfucking building. We'll be back in ten minutes. And welcome back, everybody, to Rolling Radio episode 145. And uh, we just got some uh, clarification on something that I've been wanting to know for the longest time. And who else to ask than somebody who was there since day one? So without further ado, please allow me to introduce once again, Cliff Ritchie. So Cliff, we just clarified for the people that are really tuning in that actually Teardrop was before JV. Yes. Okay. Okay. See, a lot of people, they, they recognize Teardrop, but I guess in chronological order, it has to start with Teardrop and then... And then JV. And then JV. Now, before, before Teardrop, had you ever heard of any other female Latina uh, uh, rappers? Actually, um, well, no, I, you know, I didn't, I, and I haven't. Um, uh, you know what? And I think she could have worked if she could have just kept going because I liked her voice. You know? she, was, she would have been huge. I mean, she was... Um, what I liked about the, the artists that I got behind during that, that time is that they were safe. Yes, they were safe, and there's not, nothing bad about that word. Safe means that you can get out there and be at a radio station, you could be at a club, you could be at, you know, you can meet more people and, and where people, you know, um, um, have that have that pride. You know, I, right. I love when Dr. Brown would go on, on stage, you know, and the whole audience, that you know, they know the words, you know, and just everybody's having a good time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, you know, no one else, a black artist, can say what a Latin artist can do. You know, or say, you know, we went in and, and, and helped a lot of just helped a lot of kids get through school. When we were traveling, there'd be so many military guys at the same airport, like all Latinos. You know, and they would be shy to come in, just talk to the guys, but would talk to them. They sign autographs, and you know, that helped you know uplift them and made you know made us feel good. Okay. Um, okay. So, so, so just to uh, give a quick recap before we move on. Uh, so lighter shade of brown at first was just Robert. It was just Robert, and then uh, Robert just happened. I mean, uh, and Bobby just happened to be at the right place, right time. Yes, and, and being that um, while we we're still working with Robert, Bobby would be with Fabian, you know, who was one of the guys in the group as well, and produce some of the tracks. So he'd be around, you know. Um, uh, sometimes he would go in the studio after we're done, and he'd do his own version of it, you know. And just seeing that hustle, you know, and and I'm like, okay. Our producer, Jamie James, was like, put them together, let's make it happen. Because you had Mellow, single. You had Frost, single. 
uh, you had a couple other act, acts out there. Gerardo, he was a single act, and yeah, you know, so why go with the single act? Let's go with two. Let's go with the group and see what happens. And it worked. Yeah, it and did. it worked. Okay, so now, um, T.J. Knights, what year did that drop? It actually dropped in, in 1988. 1988. 1988. And you know what? Just for the record, since we're talking about chronological order, if that record dropped in 1988, that was actually before Frost, because he dropped La Raza in 1990. Well, he well, he had that prior to that. Right. Uh, but, uh, but it wasn't... Chronically-wise, no. Yeah, cause I, I remember in Frost had two singles before he actually ever signed to, if I'm correct, uh, was a virgin when he dropped right, La Raza. He had a song called Rough Cuts, but that was like an 85. And then he had a song called Terminator. Yeah, uh, I forgot the label that he was on. It was, um, um, was it Techno Hop? Or? Yeah, Techno. That's one with the train or, yeah. and the, um, that's, that's spray paint. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and then when he came out with this album, that album didn't come out till 1990. Uh, I know that for a fact. Mello's album did not come out till 1990, but Mello had singles prior to right, came out in 88, right. like Mas Pingon, uh, Ryan Fighter, you know, et cetera. So yeah, wow. Uh, I'm glad we're talking about this. So now that album drops, um, uh, the single was, um, we were just talking about it with uh, Teardrop. Then what single dropped? Was it Sunday afternoon? No, um, uh, before Sunday afternoon, it was um, 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 the war record, Spill the Wine. Okay, spill the rhyme. Okay, yeah, and I think that was with Shiro as well, right? Yeah, no, no, actually, I wasn't. I was. That was. The, that was the boys, and um, yeah, just the boys. She wasn't in the. She wasn't in the video. Okay, no, but she. She, she didn't see. No, it, it wasn't. The, the hook wasn't her, huh? No, it wasn't her. You know what? And I think we did a show where she was singing it live. That's probably where I got it from. She could. You know, th there was times that we were thinking about doing a whole remix of the album to have her sing. You know, redo the hooks and so forth, and. You know, it's best instead of spending all that money on on a whole concentrating what you got, blow it up to the you know to the best of, you know of the their ability. You know, the Coke deal that included uh, Selena, it was Coro, Lizette Melendez, and Timmy T. But Timmy T was felt that he was bigger and you know above Coke, so they asked him to leave. Um, Selena was just doing that, getting ready to cross over. They've been working on that for some time, and the reason I know is. I was brought on board to help do the West Coast for her and for the Barrio Boys. They were label mates. The Barrio Boys, yeah. And, um, you know, um, um, I was a little bit more for them what I needed to do. I was trying to do them and then trying to take care of my group. And if I wasn't taking care of my groups, then it's bad on me. You know, so how, that, uh, how far did, did that Lighter Shade of Brown first album take them? Uh, obviously, you got them with a, a Coke deal, if you will, or that Coke commercial with Selena. Yes. Okay. Um, it took them. We have within the album was high sixty nine on the on the on the on the pop charts. Um, Sunday afternoon was their first top forty record. Um, everything else set in the in the lower you know lower forties early fit you know fifties on the chart. And um, we had problems from the label. They changed distributors three times. We didn't wow. keep track. We didn't keep track of records at that time because then we could take those records and give them to. Uh, to get the record, um, you know, uh, awarded, um, RAA did not at that time. They paid or give you your, your product, your your credit off of what was shipped, not what was sold. So if you shipped a million records and you could verify that, then you had a million selling record, even though a million might come back. Yeah, you know. So um, 
And you know what's funny? A lot of people don't even know that when it's shipped uh, platinum and then certified platinum. Shipped means that a million records left the warehouse. Yep. Sometimes that would make Billboard magazine or make headlines. You know, so-and-so shipped a million or shipped platinum. But it's not until it's certified, meaning that you sold a million, that now you're considered a platinum recording artist. No, like your product shipped a million. Right, shipped a million. You know, um, most artists, if those are real true, true numbers, that'd be one thing, but it's what, it was what you shipped. And that's the, at the end of the day, that's what's, what's more important to the label than what was sold. Wow. What, 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 why was that? Because, you, like you said, because a million get, can come back. At the time, all the record labels have um, a billing that they're trying to do, you know, trying to keep their, you know, you have product put in the system, you're going to get money. Okay, well, maybe that product didn't happen. Give me back this. And I got another, you know, I got a Bruce Springsteen, I got a Michael Jackson, I've got a, a Toto, I've got, you know, Sir Lynn, you know, Luke Vanders. There was always a major record coming out to offset anything that may be, you know, right, well, right, maybe right. coming back. Now, okay. The, um, the label calls, uh, and this is my label, uh, Disney Hollywood Records, calls Steve Yano. Steve Yano calls me and he says, hey, they want to book you guys for a, a, tour, a little tour in Germany. Uh, 10 days, you have to do like five or six shows out there. And I remember saying, well, how far is Germany? Meaning how many hours playing? Because right. I just didn't like flying for a long time. You know, we had went to New York, we had went to, to Hawaii. I think Hawaii was like seven and a half. Yep. And I hated that shit, man. So he goes, it's like 13 hours straight. And I said, I'm not going. I said, I'm not going. I don't, I cannot be on a plane that long. So he goes, are you sure? And he said, yeah, I go, have him take somebody else. That's what I said. All right. You know, I had offers <laughs> to go to Japan. I had offers to go to Australia, Canada. And I'm going to be honest with you, Rich. I, I passed them all up, man, because I did not want to fly no 13 hours. Now, the sad thing is that those, that those invitations never came back around for me. Right. You know, so I should have, took the chance so as he goes i shared that story to say this that when i hung up with steve bobby calls me light of shade okay and he tells me hey uh we're working on a new album he says uh we want a track from you and i said okay well, well what do you want and he just just something rough man we're trying to change up our sound I said okay cool this is uh bobby okay right I said okay so a couple of weeks later i make him a beat and I try to play him over the phone. He goes, I can't really hear it. And I go, well, why don't you come down? He goes, well, I'll, this is what he said. I'm going to go meet up with Muggs because he's going to do us a beat. Okay, that's what he said. And right. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking if you're going to hook up with Muggs, what do you need me for, you know? Then that's when he came out with that, check, check, check it out, okay? okay. It, it, it sounded very, very similar to a song. And they were polite about it, you know, but then it kept happening and kept happening. And pretty soon you're going to get, you know, this person's not listening. And so I think, uh, I think they cut, B-Roll cut one record, one disc record. And then it, he figured out it really wasn't worth his while because even though they were successful in their own right, he didn't want to put more light over there, you know. So he, um, for a little bit, when we met him, we made, you know, came into the ways because we felt and I think it would have happened. He would. He was so upset. He would have, you know, caused some, you know, caused some problems, because we knew it was their, you know, their chant. He knew it was their chant. I mean, you, you, you know, it's like, how can you do that? You know, right, right. A lot of times, uh, people would come to me for a lot of things that the boys did. They were young, you know. Sometimes they were just not thinking. But I got tired of trying to cover up for them, 
you know, because then I've got, you know, I've got a problem. I've got other artists and other responsibilities I'm trying to take care of. And um, so, so, it, so the rumors were true that supposedly that that chant from uh, Cypress Hill. Yeah, it was from Cypress Hill. You used to open their shows before it was even on an album. Yes. And, you know, uh, it was a dope chant. And so the boys, well, Bobby, Bobby loved that. So that was uh, Bobby's, you know, contribution. And um, it um, didn't work out as well as it should have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm glad we covered it because I had heard that, like, you know, that that was like industry talk, you know, and supposedly, like, what you, I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but uh, there was going to be an altercation or something like that? If the, what I like about B. Rose, he was able to speak his mind and let it be known, and you believe what he said. You don't want to take a chance, you know, whether it's from the record label center point management or the artist. And there's nothing I could do to say, I'm sorry, which I did, but he didn't want to hear that from me. He wanted to hear it from them. Okay, okay. And and now, um, did Muggs produce that song? No. Okay. That was another producer that uh, that Bobby actually was working with that he bought into the uh, bought into the fold. Because when I heard it, it sounded just like a Cypress Hill song. Cypress Hill songs were, they were crazy. And they were easily, the beat was easily um, copied, you know? Right. But then when you had the vocals and what Muggs was doing on the, on the scratching and the, all the little sounds, that was the Cypress Hill um, feel. So the average layman would hear that that beat and think, okay, it's, it's a Cypress record. Right, right. Okay. Now, uh, after how long were you manager of Cypress? Uh, I'm sorry, Lighter Shade? Um, uh, when's the Mivita Loco movie come out? Um, 96, 97. W were you there at the, it, I, I don't want to call it a premiere, but it was a screening. It was a screening of Mivita Loco. I was there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had my son. I think he was like one. And uh, they, I was there because they wanted me to do a track. Um, Proper Dose was there, you know, Frank and Ernie. Lighter Shade was there. This was like a, some back studio somewhere out in Hollywood. Steve Yano was there. Right. And we were all supposed to do a song, but for some reason, High C just had an issue with it and we just never did. And since I ain't the rapper and I'm just a producer, we didn't do the song. Right. Ernie and them did, I believe, and then uh, Lighter Shade, you know, they did. Um, I wasn't there. I was at that at that point. They were going to do what they were going to do. Um, I felt as long as I was going to get my credit, I had no problem. And I didn't get my credit from the success of them signing to Mercury or to them, you know, credits on the, you know, on the, um, on the album, you know. People have a problem of, um, how do I say, it's like, a, well, with Fat Joe, for instance, just, I liked how he was able to just, you know what, let me pull myself back. Let me put Pun out there. And he says Pun is better than he is, and he was able to uplift him and, and, and bring success. Uh, Lil Wayne does the same thing. Sometimes you get in, you get in front of yourself and you trip yourself up. Okay. You know, and okay. and I will say that Lightshade um, Round was the only group that I knew of that did production with other artists. You know, uh, they had the radio up in KML. They had the radio station. They were doing mornings every Saturday and Sunday, um, and it just didn't. It was a disappointment, you know. Okay. Um, when we stopped working with each other, I was upset because I was like, but then uh, Russ Regan, um, who was the president of Quality, says, look, you're going to have artists come in here day and night and day. Just do what you can do. Be as honest as you can do and just move on. You know? Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what. When I saw them, and I like to say in their prime, first or second album, they put on a hell of a show, man. 
a hell of a show. And if you didn't see that, I mean, I, I know people saw him, you know, before he passed, rest in peace, Bobby. But it was nothing compared to when you saw them when they first came out. Right. A amazing, amazing shows. And, uh, you know, I wish they could have went a little bit farther. I wish, you know, Bobby was still here, you know, but uh, Bobby loved the party. Yes. You know, now, um, last question before we move on, because I got other things that I want to cover. Okay. But um, there was a time where they went their separate ways, if you were, they broke up. Okay. Um, what was the reason behind that? I, I know it's probably multiple. Exactly. I, I was very honest with all of my artists. If Bobby had a problem with Robert getting more money for album sales than he did. And we explained this a couple of times off, like off the first album. You get paid money as an artist. You get paid money as a producer. You get paid money as a writer. You control your public, all that adds up. Right. And Bobby just went through a point where he didn't want to write. Um, I know he had a you know um, uh, maybe about six months of just blockage. And after that, he just he just you know I don't want to do it. You write, have somebody write it for me, and I'll you know I'll I'll, I'll wrap it. You know and right. Robert, um, due to his mom, Robert's mom was a, was a beast on what she wanted. You know, she's going to let her son get into this game. This is what she wanted. And she, you know, she was behind him. And yeah, she was on it. And, you know, uh, you know, he had money off of that. He had money that she was investing with him. You know, he was able to do things that Bobby wasn't able to do. But Bobby was able to spend money the way he wanted to without even worrying about, you know, um, right. um, um, you know, an, you know, somebody watching out over him. Um, I remember like we were trying to do like um, if you had like a let's see a, a, a sports outfit you had the jacket you want the shirt you probably not that wouldn't even find the shirt here you had to fly somebody someplace else and then get the shirt and that's what was with that jacket he had the, the, the letter D um, we went to five different places as he was doing shows he had everything probably had a hat bag only guy I ever knew that had like you know all his hats were right there you know because he loved hats and he loved just you know, being able to go in the store and, 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 you know, find something that he could wear and love to wear and, and rap helped him do it. And, um, it's just sad that they weren't able to really see, you know, how much further they could have went, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, you know what? I often feel that way about me and high C because off the second album, he wanted to do it all by himself. And then when, uh, according to the label, I had, well, first of all, I had nothing to do with it. They had given me remixes to do for Queen. Queen was signed to them. Right. Um, so I was doing stuff for them as well. But when, according to the label, they had said that he had spent all the up, upfront money and they weren't happy with the album that he was producing. So that's when they called me in and said, we want six tracks. And I said, 60,000 and that's it. And I, I did six songs. And I for that album, I even sold my publishing right off the top. Cut me another check. You know, and I made good money. And I said, because I knew the chemistry wasn't there, the vibe wasn't there, that it wasn't going to go anywhere. So I said, I'll right. just take all my money right now. And I did. And I did. You know, I wish we could have went farther. But you know what? Sometimes, you know, we think we can, um, I guess, do it on ourselves and forget right. what got us there. Now, switching gears up a little bit, let's talk about the, the word Chicano rap. Okay. Let's backtrack a little bit. We had Frost. Uh, um, I'll include Mello in there only because he rapped Spanglish, Spanish, etc. Mello, you had uh, Lighter Shade, uh, you had Ese Rich Rock slash Spanish Fly, uh, Proper Those, you had Toker, uh, Brownside, all within the 90s. And right. maybe I'm, I might be missing some. I'll, I'll even throw in JB, uh, Slow Pain, Nino Brown. There's Juvenile Style. Yes. 
which went on to become, I forgot what they became, uh, they did start doing the early... Aquid? Yeah, Aquid, and blew up. Blew up. So um, all of these came out in the 90s. Right. And many of them, many of them had radio play and had major record deals. Right. Okay. We come to the 2000s. That's when I start hearing the term Chicano rap. Now, from 96, 97, 98, I worked with all the Chicano rappers from Don Cisco to Frost to Slow Paint to Nino Brown to uh, AOT, uh, Little Rob, I mean, Frank B, you name it, we were there. That's what I call, that's what I consider, at least for me, if we want to use the word Chicano rap, that's the foundation, the 90s. Right. Okay. Come 2000, I start hearing the term Chicano rap. Let me ask you, when did you first start hearing the word Chicano rap? I started had to be um what, 19 i think 1994. okay um it started from you know from the street and then uh just took hold you know every project or every um item that you're trying to do needs a marketing you know so they came up with the chicano rap it's something that was easy to say uh something that when retailers a lot of times the retailers would just get a big book of new releases and so they go right to the genre that they're looking for. Just, you know, Chicano rap. And then once you're there, do you want the girl? Do you want the guy? Do you want the group? I mean, there's so much product, you know, coming right. out that uh, it it became its own, you know, its own subculture, you know, its own genre. Yeah, its own genre. And and even if you think about the uh, you got you got trap music, you've got um, down south, you've got the dirty bass. I mean, all of those were were um, were um, were given, but that was just to market the record and it wasn't given to control the whole um okay you know so i, I don't like the word because it just it it regulates and it gives somebody a reason to say i don't you know i don't even want to hear it when right they, you know they should hear it you know because i asked murray and uh, murray brunfield and he said that he came up with a term or the word chicano rap okay i'm gonna be 100 with you i was in a studio with those guys and, and I'm gonna say 96, 97, 98, like I said, we've never ever used the term Chicano rap in the studio. We never said this, he's right. a Chicano rapper. I know you said you heard of 94. I didn't hear it till like 2000, okay? Now, let me ask you this. D do you believe that, okay, was Lado Shida Brown considered Chicano rappers back then? Uh, no, um, they were actually just considered West Coast rap. I didn't have to worry about um, uh, sticking a, um, a name on top of it. Um, even though somebody else might try and do it, I'd have, I'd have to stop them and correct them because you have one person in, and all of a sudden you've got that type of group. Right. You know. Um, now, now, let me ask you this because one thing, at least, that I see, and correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, because I know you've been there since day one. Okay. Chicano rap has become, at least for me, and like oh, I'm open for correction, regional Texas, Colorado. Uh, Seattle, Portland, New Mexico, Arizona, up north. Right. Does it go farther than that? As far as um, sales, uh, sales-wise, it can go. It'll go further than that. But to really make the impact that you had an artist signed to your label that way, you say Chicano rap. It would move them away. You'd have a different budget. You know, they wouldn't tie in with the three rap, you know, black rap artists that they have, and um, it took. Um, Primarily, it was, it was it was just it's just a marketing it was a, it was a, you know marketing. I'm not saying that Murray didn't come up with it. Murray was a fantastic guy, and he I loved everything about him. So he was the the first guy on the streets, you know, as as things rose up. Um, so 
I can see that uh, he would be involved with the, you know, okay, you know, the name changing. Now, back to what I was saying: Texas, Colorado, Arizona, Portland, up north. Outside of of that, uh, if you will, uh, um, that region, right. does Chicano rap go farther than that in the states, or is is it predominantly there? Because I have pretty much pretty have seen. A lot of rappers that tell me they pretty much do the, they do the Texas, they do the Portland, they do Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, up north, and come back. Yeah, it's the same routing. Um, uh, any any other of the other cities that we didn't have a dominant Latin, you know, it was hard to get records going on, and um, they wouldn't even wouldn't even you know deal with them. Right. And so um, I think outside of that, though, when Florida started doing their thing, they didn't use the name uh, Chicano rap. Um, so people tried to label it that way, but they went on ahead with the uh, with the with their own different what's the name the, uh, the names for you know the um, the artists that they were doing. I forgot what, what um, urban's um, uh, yeah urban urban Latino right um, you know which is okay, but that was for the guys from overseas, the Brazilians down in South America right. and so forth, and a lot of labels that were putting out that product they sold more records outside of the states than they sold you know right. here in the states. You, you know, you know, Cliff, I'm doing a Chicano rap documentary, okay? And many of these questions help me, uh, uh, a lot of these answers that I ask help me with the study that I'm doing with Chicano rap. It isn't that I don't know what Chicano rap is, I do, but I like to ask a lot of questions because it gives me more of a feel, where can I go, what direction I can go with this documentary, right. okay? Now, I, I've spoke to a lot of Chicano rappers and they've said, I wanna go to Florida. I want to go to New York, you know, I want to go to, you know, North Carolina, I want to go to Baltimore, but Chicano rap, at least to them, doesn't take them there. They they do the Texas, they do the same old routes. Right. And many of them won't go up north. Now, did you ever have a problem taking Ladder Shade up north? I never had a problem taking it anywhere. They had a problem with where I wanted to take them. Um, the, um, the, the, the concert in New York, the, Couple months ago, that Robert talked about the um, was it the um, I have no idea, but it'll come to you. <laughs> well, you could have been on that tour. I wanted them to go back east. They didn't have the groundhog back east, and anybody who played um, that that concert, they blew up after that because everybody was watching who they had on stage. Right. They didn't need to be on the West Coast stage because everybody knew on the West Coast. Right. You want to go to where. You you know uh, you're you're opening doors. You know you're selling mu music. Right. You're letting people realize, hey, I'm I'm I'm, I'm me. And I'm not black, and I could you know I could tear it up. Yeah, I could tear it up. And you can't you can't do that when you keep playing the same audience who loves you anyway. Like you can't grow. Right. See, and to me, I, I guess my question is why. Ha why can't they go back east? Why can't they go? Uh, is it because the music doesn't interest them over there? Uh, um, you know, I, I guess my thing is because I do want to see a Chicano Kanye West, a Chicano Dr. Dre, a Chicano Easy E, uh, DJ Quick, a Chicano, you know, 50 Cent, you know, but it almost seems, at least to me, like we're stuck. Musically, there's uh, people are scared to do something different. I think the audience would love it, and, and it's not really about. Um, I mean, we went, we had some stuff going on in Kansas. Nothing but black cats that love these guys. I see not not one, yeah. you know, um, um, other minority out there. If you deliver and you're true with what you're you're yes. you know, you're saying, and you're not forcing something down on 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 on, on the audience, they're gonna love you because dope is dope. Dope recognizes you know, game recognizes game. Right. Um, okay. And, 
Now, now you know what? Uh, um, you know, we'll come back to that. But what other artists, after or during Lighter Shade, did you uh, manage or work with? I had uh, Two Down. They had a song called The Ocean Front. I had The Young Bucks. It was a younger version of Lighter Shade of Brown. Um, I had, um, I should remember all this stuff. I had uh, uh, Don Cisco. He was from, uh, from the Bay. Uh, a lot of people felt that he took Tupac's style. I'm telling you right now, Tupac took his style. The boy was dope. Okay, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, okay. hold on, hold on. Okay. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just okay. want to hear that again. All right. Because I worked with Don Cisco, okay? And I recorded a song with him. And the studio was in the other room. And I, and I spoke to him on the mic. You ready? He said, yeah, okay, cool. We did a song called Estilo Frio. People can go look it up on YouTube. I produced that shit. Estilo Frio. and had Don Cisco and my boy, uh, Mr. G from um, Lawless Click. Okay. I record him. What the fuck? I stopped him and I asked him, hey man, like, are you serious? And he said, yeah, well, what's up? And then I said, I turned around and looked at my boy and I go, this guy sounds just like Tupac. That's exactly what I said. Look up the song, Estilo Frio, okay? Uh, uh, Don Cisco, my boy G from Lawless. So he finished his verse. The verse is dope. Right. But please elaborate on a little bit on what you just said right now. It wasn't just with, with Pac. There was a lot of black artists who would see either a white rapper or a Latino rapper doing their thing and knowing that they weren't, you know, uh, uh, going to go anywhere. They would steal styles. They'd take either their vocal style, they'd take a beat, not even care about it, you know, and, and go on and have success with it. And, and you know, with those two things right there, I, I got tired of people saying, oh, he's trying to, he ain't trying to sound like Pac. You listen to Pac when he did with the Digital Underground and some other shit before he had that voice change. That wasn't his style. Pac was a actor. He knew how, he knew what to do to, you know, to make shit work. But um, that's Don Cisco's uh, style all the way. Wow. Okay. Okay. So your point is that if you listen to Pac when he was a digital underground, then you listen to Pac with Brenda's Got a Baby and his solo albums. Then he comes out and he does that All Eyes on Me album, totally different style. Yep. So you're saying that that style was taken from Don Cisco. Yes, I am. Okay. And, and you know what? I can testify to that, not saying that it, that's where it came from, but I recorded him and I'm like, wait, you're doing Pac. And he never told me, you know, Pac took that, but he just, here's what he did say. That's my my style, homie. That's my, that's me. I wasn't going to argue with them. Right. Was, okay, let's do it. The song calls Estilo Frio, produced by me and my boy, uh, G from Lawless Click. And uh, you, you could swear that that's, you know, but uh, I'm glad you said that. You know, you got to give him his flowers, you know? Definitely. So, uh, so Don Cisco and, and who else? Um, I had um, a group called Street Mentality. The Little V, rest in peace. It was uh, featured Slow Paint and this kid named Big Bandit. And Big Bandit to me was just—he was a great producer, but his sound—he wasn't trying to sound like all the other rappers out there. So they would hate on him, you know, for trying to diss being a Mexican. The blacks wouldn't give him time of day because they thought he—he's out of his lane, you know. But the kid wasn't. All he wanted to do was just rap and be, you know, and, and go about his career. And so you got to have the—you got to have the strength to 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 to. Not be scared, you know, to get out there and, and make it happen. Um, something I liked about Conejo is Conejo will purposely on a Friday night go to a cipher, just go in here, wait, wait, and then he'll murder all those guys there, and they wouldn't know all the black guys. They wouldn't know what to say because he just shamed them in front of everybody. You know, there was oh. no fear in him. Now, now, Cliff, I'm going to say something before we go to break. Okay. Okay. 
it took you it took a lot of balls for you to say that a lot of black artists would take styles from Mexicans and from whites thinking that they will never ever blow up so I'm gonna take shit and just use it so am I misquoting you no that's correct now I, I I can say that because I was on both sides and I seen what you know even traveling around the, you know the world I see what other you know um, 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 artists or other rappers can do and then they're not really you know they don't have that team to really make it happen so this other person just takes it and runs with it and you know wow okay everybody we're gonna go ahead and take a break um, first of all, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back in about 10 minutes. I'm going to grab a beer, loosen up a little bit more. Uh, we're going to get into it. So make sure you call somebody, text somebody. You know the rest. Cliff Richie's in the motherfucking building, episode 145. We'll be back. Don't fuck around. And welcome back, everybody, to Rolling Radio, episode 145. And we're going to go ahead and jump right back into it with Cliff Richie. Cliff, I thank you for coming. And you know what? Um, somebody said commented something on one of the uh, one of my posts on youtube there's a community part on my youtube page where i post flyers mm -hmm. and everybody that's a subscriber have over thirty thousand subscribers that view that see that okay one guy put who is this he's just another nobody okay first of all if you consider clip richie lonzo arabian prince clientele violet brown carmelo alvarez uh um Calvin Anderson, etc., a bunch of nobodies, then I'm going to call you out and say this, that you don't know anything. No, you don't know shit about West Coast hip hop. Yep. Period. You just don't know. If you don't know who Cliff Richie is, if you don't know who Murray Brumfield is, you don't know shit about West Coast hip hop. So maybe, you, maybe you're a Takashi, you know, little pump fan. I don't know. But you know what? I like to deal with pioneers. You know, and shed, shine light on up and coming acts. That's what we right. do here. So, with that being said, I had to address that because I can't stand when you got idiots that just want to hate for no apparent reason because they have nothing going on in their life, and they just want to say, "Who's this? A bunch of nobodies." You know what? You don't like it? Don't watch. Maybe it's not the podcast for you. Right. Go home and watch, you know, Baby Shark or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, with that being said, now. I want to ask you, you being a black man, managing Lighter Shader Brown, putting together Lighter Shader Brown, okay? Do you believe that this industry has been fair to Chicano rappers as they have to black rappers? No, they, they haven't. Uh, and I, I, I'll even go back to, to the 50s, all the groups. They haven't been fair. Um, it's hard when, you know, you put in the work, you've got a record that's doing better than a, a black artist, but that group can get paid more than your group, you know? Um, it's just about fair, you know. I sound like a little baby, but, you know. Be fair. Do what's right. If you know that this group is doing right, you pay them accordingly. You know? I know um, you mentioned uh, Chris Cross was getting paid. So we were doing shows with them, and, and on the same show, and in the marketplace, Lightership Brown was doing better on records because they were kind of weighing out, but they're still crisscross. I couldn't even get twenty, thirty thousand dollars for a show where crisscross would get seventy to hundred thousand, hands down. You know, simply because my group was not black. And during that time, at least in, I, I don't know if I'm using the right word, sales or popularity, Lighter Shade had a bigger... Yeah, they had a bigger uh, bigger impact. They, they they touched kids, the the young females at radio station trying, trying to deal with, and, and the older, you know, the older uh, guys out there. They were clean rappers, you know. Um, it was hardly getting anybody doing that. So they were the perfect group. And... and Crisscross over here was getting thousands of dollars, and you couldn't even get twenty five. You know, uh, I would be treated 
like my group wasn't, you know, worth its weight in gold. And I knew they would. They, they are. And that would piss me off so, so many times because there's nothing I could really do except, well, fuck it, I'm not going to do the show. But then that would, then that would hurt the group and that would be a less audience that could see them. You know, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Right, right. Now, let me ask you this. When do you consider, if for the sake of the conversation, we'll use the word Chicano rap. Okay. What years do you see Chicano rap in its prime? My answer is this, all at least from 1990 to like 98, somewhere around there. That's what I consider Chicano rap its prime. When do you, if any? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. Okay. There, there were groups that, um, uh, a group from, I think, Browning, Browning Tinge, they're from Santa, um, uh, Santa, not Santa Ana, but um, where are they from? I can't remember where they're from, but those boys were dope. Uh, Brown know? Intentions? Yeah. Okay. You know, I like I like storytelling. You know, I just like how they, you know, you could hear what they're saying and, and, and be involved in the story. Right. You know. Right. Um, okay. Now, um, around 2000s, a lot of people, well, I don't want to say a lot of people, few people have DM'd me, they inbox me, emails, and they believe and, and they're entitled to it because maybe they just weren't around during the 90s, and I understand right. that. They believe that Chicano rap was in its prime 2000 forward. I believe, seeing it from the very beginning to what it has become, I thought it was on its way up when it hit 2000s, it got stagnant and it just stayed there. What, what do you feel about today's Chicano rap from 2000 to 2022? 2000, yeah. I think a lot of them are not, I know there's a few who are serious, but there needs to be a unification amongst, you know, um, the new breed of rappers with the old rappers, you know, to, to help each other out. You know, um, it might be my turn to get some fame and when I've hit my run, we'll help the next guy up and hit the next girl out or whatever it is. You know, um, um, uh, other artists and other businesses, they all work together. Yeah. I don't have to like you in order to make money with you. And I think if people get that more in their frame of, of thinking, you'll see, um, you know, um, um, greater success out there stop trying to down each other but um you know support each other yeah you know and, and I, I don't ever have a problem with mentioning labels or artists when it comes to giving them the credit for an example in the 2000s here's when i heard and these i heard these labels were very successful the uh southland gangster entertainment uh mr d low profile and um also um uh, the Capone label, um, right, um, high power, high power. I heard they were very, very successful. You know, um, first time I met Mr. D was in 2005 and we were supposed to do some music. It never happened. Okay. Um, other than that, uh, I just kept hearing, you know, these three labels pretty much really taking off, you know, doing very, very well. Right. So I kind of understand why people were probably saying that that's probably its prime. I don't consider that's prime. If that's what they consider, more power to you. But I thought the best Chicano rap was all throughout the 90s. I thought uh, uh, in 20, to, I said 2022, but 2020 to 2021, just too much out there and none of it was really above the other. Like we, we, I didn't see the the frost. I didn't see the the mellows. I didn't see the the proper doses. I didn't see the brown sides. I didn't see uh, in the you know 2000 to 2021. I didn't see them. I just saw a bunch of rappers out there. Many of them were very talented, but uh, but I think part of it is what you said. Probably weren't given an equal opportunity. 
But at the same time, I think there was a lot of stuff that was thrown out there that was just wasn't no good. Right. I had AOT here, and AOT wrote a lot of. He's by his own admission seventy percent of Ross's reps. Okay. He said this, and he was highly criticized because he just simply stated his opinion. Right. He said most of Chicano rap sucks. That's what he said. He goes most of Chicano rap sucks, and. That was his opinion. Now, right. to a certain extent, even though there's a market out there, okay, uh, for Chicano rap, but for good Chicano rap, correct? You know, I have to agree somewhat with him, you know, because. But let's look at black rap. Can we say that every black rapper is dope? No, no, it's the same thing. But he got highly criticized for stating his opinion because he was not, you know, people feel you're not of that race that you're talking about. You don't have a right. You know to say anything and i look at it i'm in the music business you're in the music business i have that right and you know if i see something that that um um that i'm unhappy with i have that right to talk about it you know um it's like uh it's about respect it's about knowledge and knowing you know, if you're gonna, if I'm gonna drive a car, I'm gonna know a little bit about that car. Right. You know, if you're in the rap game or whatever game, know the game at least where you can have a conversation and people won't look at you like, um, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You know, uh, I'm gonna ask you a question that I ask a lot of uh, labels, a lot of artists, um, a lot of managers, a lot, even a lot of executives. I still know a lot of people in the business, and um, I asked them this. Why do you think that Chicano rap, at least, you know, coming from uh, somebody in the industry and in Hollywood sitting in the office, why aren't you guys signing Chicano rappers? Okay, many of them have said this. Well, we, we don't want to bring the gang activity into the into Hollywood, into the Hollywood business, you know, right. because many of those rappers are talented, but they're a liability. You know, I could sign them for, you know, a quarter of a million dollars and then he goes kill somebody in just five years. That's what I believe this industry is afraid of. So a lot of these rappers have gone independent. Cool, and I get it. They make their own money. And, and I'm all for people being independent. But a lot of, here's what pretty much 95% of the time, what rappers say, why Chicano rap has never gone the next level. And you tell me if you agree or maybe your best answer. They say, because we hate on each other. I agree. They're not supporting each other. They're not calling out somebody if they're writing uh, some lyrics. They're not calling them out. They're not working as as, as a team. The successful rap artists, that, other artists out there, they are all from a team, you know? And there's a lot of Latin cats who are just dope as fuck, but they're never going to get that shine because it's who they have around them or the song they, that they want to promote or they want to, you know, come out with. You're a gangster rapper, be a gangster rapper. But if you're not, you know, talk about real shit because that's all people want to hear right you know if you went to to uh, backyard parties have the best backyard party song it, you know uh, everybody could can relate to <clears throat> um uh, i like that down lean like a cholo and if it wasn't called lean like a cholo but lean like a g lean, that would have been a much bigger record uh same thing when i had latin active the word latin we we, we sampled uh, radioactivity right we put latin in front of it and it just completely it's it, it it stopped the record, you know, uh, from really, you know, from really growing. Um, and and, and I, I agree and I understand and I'll tell you why. Steve Yano signs proper those, okay? Uh, he gives him the first record deal. 
signs Frank and Ernie. And I was surprised, but I know Steve saw the future of music and it was going towards, if you will, the Chicano side, okay? And he said, you know what? Uh, we're just gonna do it and fuck it. If nobody likes it, nobody likes it, but I'm gonna take a chance. Right. I, I, I like Frank B, he was saying. And then when I heard Frank B, I agreed with everybody was calling Frank B, uh, the Mexican Ice Cube. His cadence, his delivery, his voice, it was all, the, he was the whole package. Yeah. Okay. Ernie G with him, it was there. The chemistry was there. So they produced that record. Very successful, but not as successful as Steve was thinking because he wanted black numbers, if I can say it that way. Right. Okay. And um, so I said, what, what do you think happened? And here's what he said. I was all for the Mexican power song, but I thought it was, I think now it's too brown for people. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, because I feel that I narrowed my market down to a small demographic. Right. Him being a Japanese man, knowing where Chicano rap was going to, it was going to be, if I could use the word taking over, or at least uh, doors were going to be opening up for right. Chicanos, he decided to do that. But he said, I think I came out too brown with this group because we're not going farther than Texas, you know? So I understand him teaching me that I'm learning now. He said, yeah, no, we go to Denver, you know, we go Arizona, New Mexico, we do up North, but I'm trying to go to New York. Right, right. I'm trying to go to Florida. And that's what he noticed the, the small demographic of, you know, so he was like, fuck, I don't know. But at first he was on some, if New York doesn't like it, fuck them, if, you know, but he started realizing the money wasn't there. You know, we all want to make good money, bro. Right. So we don't want to never our down our audience. But now, let me ask you this: the future of Chicano rap is there a future for Chicano rap? I believe there is. Okay, and I agree with you. I do. Um, again, it's the same simple, simple arithmetic. If I'm on a street and everybody's selling tacos, and I want to start a business, I'm not going to start a taco. I'm going to come in with a burger or a pizza. Be different. And you'll get the attention. Everybody looks for that person's secret. But when they come to you, then you have the, the, the sickest track or the sickest this or that to keep them, you know, keep them on board. Right. And you don't want to you don't want to alienate a, a, a consumer or a customer. If I really felt like I, I want to get into this guy, but I can't because he's just way off the top, I won't. And rap has we've all grown up with rap now, you know. So your audience that was there in ninety five, they're here now and they just there's nobody preaching to them. There's nobody uh, uh, saying anything that they could relate to and buy records. Right, you know, right. And, and it's like... Um, well, you know what? I do see a future, and that's why I decided to ask the fans if they wanted me to uh, direct a uh, Chicano rap documentary because, first of all, I'm not a rapper. I have one documentary, three-hour documentary under my belt, in which I recommended, and no, I have never heard any complaints about my documentary right. and one of, one of my biggest I guess proudest moments was when I, I shared it with Rashidi Harper the the uh, pretty much Dr. Dre's cameraman uh, he directed the hip hop uncovered and I had the honor and the privilege to interview him here and he told me you have a great uh, uh, um, documentary because I cannot believe that this is your first time so I asked the audience and the audience gave and we almost raised almost 20,000 okay now keep in mind and I have to say this to re remind people that you can't do a documentary in a couple of months, especially when COVID hit, okay? Uh, it took me one year to film it. And it took me one year to edit. Now keep in mind, we were just rookies. right? So we took our time to make it right. My thing is this, that it's gotta be a hit, it can't be a miss. So I gotta take my sweet time. Now, if you're used to guys knocking out an album in a week, 
guess what? If that's what you're used to, you're not going to get a documentary done in a week. Right. Okay. If I did do a documentary in a week, guess what? It'll be forgotten in a week because it'll be a piece of shit. Okay. Just like most of these albums that these guys release, they'll do an album. Uh, we're done with it. When, when did you do it? It took me a week to do it. They release it in two weeks. Oh, I'm already working on my next EP. <laughs> you know, I like to make something that's going to last forever. Right. You know that, uh, uh, the High Sea album, okay? In this December, it'll be 30 years, and people uh -huh. still tell me I still love those songs. So I feel that I was a part of something that still lasts. Right. You know, so I'm proud of that, man. And I'm proud of you being uh, putting together Light of Shade, and we got hits that we can listen to. Dude, I still bumps on the afternoon. I don't give a shit what anybody says. <laughs> songs are hit, man. And with the group, what I did was make sure that we worked with other uh, Latin guys, you know, um, uh, in the in the business, whether they're DJs, uh, uh, on the radio, uh, artwork, everything I did with the group, ninety percent of it was um, earmarked with the with another Latin, you know, um, in charge of it. And, and you have to you have to support. You have to wake people up because if you don't do it, who's going to do it? And you're in the position to do it. So, you know, right. You extend that hand, start building, you know, building up pride and building up respect and slowly but surely you'll start seeing that you know come yeah. back to you you know you know now let me ask you this I, I i love this question because i've asked a lot of fans this question not rappers but i've asked fans who is the face of chicano rap today now before you give me your answer here's what i always say what is what i always compare it to when you think of boxing the first boxer that comes to mind most people say muhammad ali when you say golf tiger woods when you say you know basketball michael jordan you know, those people pop into your mind right away. So I ask, when I ask you who's the face that you're going to rap, most people say, uh, and also, there's like six or seven. Frost, some people say Conejo, some people say King Little G, some people say Frank V, some people say uh, Toker, Brownside, some people have said uh, um, um, Little Rob, and I know there's one more, and I keep forgetting, some people say Little Rob. Who would you say, if any, when I say who was the face that you're going to rap, who was the first person that came to your mind? My group. Your group? My group. Okay. And you know what's funny? They've never said that. They've never mentioned it. I, I guess because they think of a solo more than a group. Right. So. Yeah, was, um, but then also, that's a little question, because then if you really think about certain things, you know, Bronze was just ridiculous about uh, psycho realm was after the uh, um uh, ralph what's his name um the funk dubious funk dubious they yeah. all had something that they could bring to the table that you enjoyed my problem is it wasn't consistent enough you know i'll listen to jazz i listen to gospel i listen to country i love country music you know you find me a song and i'm and i'm there listening and um or they're trying to be somebody else you know not trying to be themselves and give their career a chance to right. um, you know to to grow um but, but, but you know what, Cliff, I'm, earlier you brought something up, and, and I and I want to piggyback off of that. Okay. You know why all of these rappers that I just mentioned, the Frost, the Conejos, the, the Brown Size, the Frank B's, the, you know, the King Little G's, the Little Rob's, you know why all those names come to people's minds? Because each and every one of those guys was different. The Funk Dubious, the the, the Cy Psycho Realms, the, the Cypress Hill, they were all different. None of them sounded like each other. Right. They all had their own style. The problem that I have today, not only with, for the sake of the conversation, I'm going to say it this way, black rap, but and also Chicano rap, I think a lot of the black rap sounds the same. I think a lot of Chicano rap sounds the same. Excuse me, I don't see any 
body in the Chicano rap side above another because I believe that they all have somewhat the same sound. I don't see anything different. Right. I don't know. I don't know if you agree, disagree. It's like, um, what I like about this music business is if I believe that you're the shit artist, I'm going to... You know, I could think of ten other people there. I want to make sure that my artist gets the uh, the chance and the, you know uh, uh, the information he needs or her she needs to to make it happen. It's just that you can't be more into that person's career than that person is going to be in that career. Because at the end of the day, people want to see you know the person that you're promoting. And somebody sees this happening here. Okay, let me do the same thing and try and be better than him, as opposed to just being totally different. Because you can be different. Um, so I don't know. I was just like, I, 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 I get over, you know, um, um, sometimes just get overheated because I, like I said, it's unfair on, on one end. I hate that a rapper who has a platform is not saying something. Nobody's sitting at the, doing any of this stuff. Say something so that people know it's okay and they, they'll follow suit. You know, um, I'm still waiting for a successful black, I mean, I'm um, um, sorry, um, um, Latin basketball player you know who's just doing it and those guys out there but yeah they didn't they, they need that chance um yeah you know i remember years ago you told me this was in the 90s you told me you know who i think is going to be the first to blow and i want to find them you said I, i'm looking for a filipino rapper <laughs> i remember that and you know it's funny um i was working with a guy named augie and a guy named brian uh from they were from the patch in the city of carson right okay you know, they, they were from a blood clique, okay? Two Filipino guys. I was working with them, and they, back then they were called Warzone. And uh, I shopped them to Disney. They liked their look, they liked their style. They, If I had to compare them to somebody, they were in that Psycho Realm, Cypress Hill, Funk Dubious genre, okay? And I was producing them. They gave me demo budgets. We went in there, we recorded them and everything. I still have their demos. And, and sad to say, uh, one of their so-called homies walked into one of their houses hey let me use your restroom all right cool walked in and killed one of them wow. yeah and it happened to be one of his friends so and then the crazy thing is i'm at home waiting got my equipment on he's supposed to meet me at my house because we're going to start producing these demos that this uh a company gave me budget for never showed up so i call and his, his girl says you know he was just killed blew me the fuck away in the both Filipinos and I remember when you told me oh yeah you know what I think Filipinos next to blow and I'm like fuck I'm over here working with, with two of them it was just a group and uh, they had the look they had the dope logo everything we were ready to go and once again Hollywood Records being Disney was interested in them they just wanted to hear their stuff right. they gave me demo budgets without hearing their stuff <laughs> you know that's, I mean, that's dope yes they just trusted me okay here you go Mickey Mouse logo on it, cool. Went to my bank. <laughs> yeah, it was cool, man. I, you know, I, I, but it never happened. So, and that was he's been gone over twenty years, man. So, but that's what happens when you're in this business and you're active. You know, you got to learn to put that shit aside, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, uh, take care of your business. Now, other than that, Cliff, let me ask you this: anything I didn't ask you, anything that you want to bring up, anything that I maybe we didn't cover. You know, there were a couple of things I, I actually came up with a blank right now. Um, I, I know you said, if I'm correct, you worked at one point for either Capone or Mr. D? I consulted. Okay. Um, even though they won't say that I did, you know, they want to see what can I do to, you know, 
be better or to get to a certain level. Right. And um, sometimes their image is already out there, so it's hard to, you know, clean it up or, right. or come up with a song that just didn't sound like he was purposely, you know, trying to be somebody that he's not. Great record sales, great business heads on them, you know. Um, but I think both of them put their their, their presence above the the artists, you know. And I don't know. I mean, just that's all I have to say about that right now. I can okay. You know, so, Okay. Uh, other than that, how was your relationship with uh, Robert from Lot of Shade? Ever since uh, the group left to be with Paul or Paul Stewart and go over to Mercury, um, he they felt I I was I was doing it wrong that I was taking money that I didn't didn't belong to me. I took money that I put into the group. You know, the label took the money that they put into the group. You know, at the end of the day, um, there was a point that they didn't want to take transportation to go from Riverside to LA. So we got them town cars. There was one point that I want my best buddies to go with me to the show in Arizona. You know, so we gave them all that. Basically everything they wanted, they got. That group was the most taken care of group, you know, Latin group, uh, not even just rap group, you know, and just didn't understand the the um the the love that went into, you know, trying to make sure that they were successful. Um Okay, and and other than that, I know you you managed the uh, downstairs school. You mentioned a couple of other guys, you know. Um, now, other than um, down, if I'm correct, uh, like a Cholo. It was just, that was a great record, right? You know, it's like you're in a club jamming to, but when he says "lean like a Cholo," if you're not a Cholo or a Latin, you're not even gonna, you know, that right. song wasn't for you. Change the word around, put in a different word, and it would have been a much, you know, much bigger hit. Is it possible to say? And, and again, I'm not sure because I don't really listen to radio. But is it possible to say that that was probably the last Chicano on the radio? Hmm. That's, that's a tough question right there. No, I think Bash has been on the radio uh, a couple of times. Okay, that. yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. But I guess because I didn't consider Bash rap. Well, with with that one song, uh, well, no, he's multi. Yeah, he's he's multi talented. But, yeah, so okay. Um, just um, okay, so we got down bash. There was a song, um, wow, I gotta think really hard. <laughs> That's a tough one, right there. Yeah, it is. Think about you it, know, you know. Um, wow, okay, you know what? Anybody on the live chat, if you guys know the last Chicano that you guys heard on the radio, go ahead and uh, post it up, post it up, and um, you know, let us know who that was. Let us know, Alex, who, who they say, if anybody. Um, you know, I guess I guess we could say Cypress Hill, but we don't consider that uh, Chicano rap. You know, and we, we, and we don't, and nobody even puts him in that category. Right. But in reality, you know, I'm not saying reality. They, they just weren't they they weren't pictured. They weren't cornered in that right. using that name, and that name does hurt. You know. Uh, yeah. You know, hurt hurt a group. So. So, so what is Cliff Richie doing today? Are, are you still in the music business? I'm in the music business by way of working with a, um, a retail store in Japan called Too Tight Music. What everybody, if you're into the into the uh, classic rap, this guy has, that's all he sells. He comes over here, he picks up original pieces and his store is nothing but 90s rap. Memorabilia, uh, posters, you know, and he wow. he makes sure that whatever he buys over here, it's not bootleg, it's not, it's, it's gotta be you know, first run, you know, first right. pressing product. And I don't want to say, you know, everybody has to have somebody to support them. 
Right. You know, um, to say a white guy or black guy, you know, they don't have no business doing it. You don't know who was doing it even before you heard an artist, you know? Right. And right. you have to, you have to look at somebody's team, you know, to, to really, it's just not about the music, it's about the whole thing. Uh, the, you know, the promotion, the advertising, um, you know, um, shit, everything. Just, you shouldn't hate. People spend all this time doing this and that on, online. Like, that energy could be, you know, um, uh, geared for something different. Right, or right. write a song and then pitch it to, you know, uh, uh, somebody right. to see if they'll, you know, um, you know record it um, or do anything. So just sitting there and just bashing. Right. Because other people see that. And then if you got two or three guys bashing this artist, then, well, I'm not going to listen to him because his core audience is already, you know, talking shit about him. So I, I won't give it the time. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that just love to talk shit, just to talk shit. Something could be fucking flat out dope. Uh, fuck that dude. That song fucking sucks. That song, they'll find anything. I didn't like the shirt that he wore in his video. Right. You know, I didn't like the cologne that he had on in his video. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, but, the, and I think that's the, that's the number one problem, my opinion, with Chicanos in the Chicano rap game. They just hate, bro. Like, you know, I, I learned this from Steve Jobs when I read his biography and um, I carried it with me all this time when they asked him a question and they actually included it in his movie with Ashton Kusher, which actually played a really, really good role of Steve Jobs. They asked him, uh, well, they told him, you know, uh, Microsoft is releasing this, this computer and this computer and it's really, really good. And what are we going to do? And he said, I'm not trying to be better than my competition. Right. I just want to be different. And to me, that right there took like a huge load off my shoulders. And I was like, we're not trying to be better. We just want to yeah, be different. different. Yeah. And you said that earlier, you just got to be different. That's how you'll get noticed. Yep. You know, today we have so many people in competition. I think my shit is better than his. I think my shit is better than hers. I think we don't need that. You know, we don't need that if we want to succeed and we want to make our name for ourselves. Chicano rap now has been in existence now, if we say, started in 1990. Yeah. It, okay. How many years? 31 years. That's a long time. And still, you know. Um, have we made an impact yet? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So, and um, and it's sad to say, because I, I do believe, and I'm going to say this, Richie, Cliff Richie, I believe that we are hip-hop's economy, especially here in the West Coast. We buy up everything. Yep. And yet, when it comes to supporting ourselves, it's not there, you know? Uh, we can get up on stage, ah, oh, fuck that motherfucker. You know, that's the attitude that we have. But Ice Cube shows up, oh my God, you know? Dre shows up, Eminem shows up, anybody. Then you you, you can have up there a little Rob, ah, oh, fuck that fool, you know? Sad to say that, you know? I support everyone. I've supported everyone since day one, you know. So I just hope that we can go a lot farther than what we truly are. With that being said, I'm gonna I'm gonna make somewhat of an announcement. The other day, uh, once again, I interviewed uh, the director and the executive producer of Hip Hop Uncovered. I watched this documentary, and it was like episode three, where they were talking about the crack epidemic and uh, what rappers were talking about during that time in the '80s. And he started playing, you know, it's like that, hard times, fuck the police and all that. And I remember that grimy, grit, nasty beats. And I said, I still got so many fucking beats on my SB 1200. 
on my, <laughs> all my floppy disks. I got shoe boxes full of floppy disks. So I pulled out the old drum, and I was in here by myself, started loading up beats. And you know what I said? Let me test the waters. I came on here with Ralph M., the DJ and producer from Dubious, okay? Started trading beats, okay? And um, the crowd really loved it. The, uh, uh, the audience, it, it, it was a very successful, uh, if you will, uh, uh, feedback. Right. So I was in here one more time, started playing beats, and I said, you know what? I'm gonna come back one more time. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Rocky Balboa, the last Rocky movie, not Creed, but Rocky Balboa. He wants to fight one more time and he's in his 50s. Right. Okay, and he says, I, I still got some stuff in the basement. Well, I still got some stuff in the basement and I wanna let it out. I hooked up with uh, this one individual, I won't, I won't say who it is, but eventually we're gonna come out with a new song and a new video and we're gonna premiere it here on Rodian Radio. That's dope. Okay, we got a platform now, we have a voice, we're gonna use it because I wanna show uh, uh, not to throw it in anybody's face, but I want to show our people that we can do it. Yeah. And I want to be one of the first to take the initiative to say, and this is how we can do it right here. I like that. That's dope. So, yeah. So uh, for right now, I'm back. Well, glad to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, man, you know what I did? I just put out the old school drum machine. My old floppies. I brought this artist in and he likes that old grimy grit shit. And it's all different, bro. It's all different. So eventually when we premiere here, I guarantee you, okay, I will not come back unless I'm going to shock people. And see, you got you to be on point when you come back because you only had that one time. One time. You know, and you pass the test, it's all good. If you don't, it makes it hard for the next person to come up. Exactly. That's why you got to do it right. I got to kick this industry in the balls with this with this song, bro. So that's what we're gonna do it. So other than that, Cliff, um, really enjoy having you here. For some reason, I feel like we're not done, but um, anything else? I know you said your mind went blank. Yeah, still. There was a couple of things I know you wanted to bring up. Um, mm. So you're still in the industry. I'm still in the industry. Are you managing anyone at the time? Um, no, not not right now. Um, what I'm doing is I still, I still do consulting. Um, okay. I still help sample, you know, uh, I love clearing samples. Let, let's talk about that. All right. Okay. I know you said you couldn't clear the Eagle sample. Right. For Light of Shade. Um, there was a couple of other samples that you said you had trouble clear or you did yeah, clear uh, for certain artists. Well, was, uh, I, I wasn't able to clear um, uh, Bloodstone with um, Natural High, you know, because the... Now, that was with Little Rob. Little Rob. I helped clear that sample. Um if you're dealing with a with a group sometimes where you have two guys who wrote it, one loves rap, one doesn't, you're never gonna get it, you know, uh you're never gonna get it cleared. Uh Rob Temperton from Heatwave, none of his stuff was clearable until he passed. And that's when his publishing came and said, Okay, now it now it's you know, it's it's, it's good to use. Wow. Well now, now let me say this for possibly maybe twenty years somebody's viewing this. Sample clearance meaning that if you took a piece of a record or you looped a piece of a record or a, a piece of a song, and you used it and you rapped over it, you had to clear it. Meaning you have to contact the people who, or the public, whoever owns the, the rights at the time. Right. And you have to clear it. For an example, when we sampled, when I sampled, I'm your puppet, and we made it, I'm not your puppet, we had to pay $5,000. Now that was a lot for us in 1990. Yeah, the record didn't come out to 1991. And then we sampled Billy Stewart, Sin in the Park. We just couldn't sample and use it like it's not for free. 
we literally <laughs> we, we literally had to sample i mean uh they charged us uh five thousand dollars you know as well now violet brown shared this story with me and i found it out to be true that when mc hammer sampled uh was a super freak uh, for you can't touch this right that they asked rick james you know how much you want and he said i wanted i want nothing no money but i want everything that that song is going to sell just that one song now keep in mind it was smart business that mc hammer said yes whatever that one song makes is yours right because how many platinums did that album sell uh, 20 million not that, that was almost a, a 9 million selling um yes that's a big record big big record okay and uh i sold millions of records so giving up one song meant nothing Correct. but that's how serious sample clearing is and it still is today and you you help with that you know so um you said he waved they will say no he passed and then they yeah once once the the right guy who wrote it uh passed Floodgates were open. His public company, who just purchased it, allowed it to be uh, allowed it to be used, and no one's really tapped into it as of yet. You know, because they still think it's not clearable, but it's it's there waiting. Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of groups out there that sample shit, and they just release it like on YouTube. They don't ever sell it. They kind of try to make a name off of rapping a, a, to an oldie simply because they figured they're never gonna go platinum. Who's gonna find out? You know, I know a lot of people that do do that i get it but that's kind of i don't know uh um w w w let me ask you this okay can can you still get in trouble for that yeah especially now um if you're not really doing your research if that song is still in 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 uh in play basically uh you didn't clear it or maybe it's a person who wrote it didn't own the master you can do a deal directly with the person who wrote the song and they could sign off on the paperwork saying, okay, if there's any problems with the mastering, come to me, having the paperwork and you can go about your business. You don't have to just, you know, use it. I mean, a little bit of work, you can, um, you know, you can get it or you can go and buy it, buy the song. It says the song and public companies close or it's not working. Go in, buy the song and then you own the, the rights to wow. that song and the masters and you, you know, do whatever you want, do whatever you want with it. As long as you pay, you know, just all you gotta do is pay the people who, were responsible for what you're taking you know what i'm saying now, now let me ask you this are some of the sample clearances still expensive or still or even cheap um the way the reason the way that business has changed here the publishing company has been more inclined to be more relaxed they want to have more people sample their songs because they're also these to commercial yeah you know you know uh the, the the tag team making more money now than it did 30 years or 40 years ago because of the commercial that it's in tag team whoop there it is yep. they just did that one commercial it's the fucking one commercial. It's, it's hilarious a, bro i love it the 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 one best what's the uh the lg uh washing dryer with um uh, uh, your laundry mm -hmm. um they used the um um old dirty bastards um uh, uh, you know i, I got Ooh, my money. maybe i like a raw you know, is that one yeah <laughs> you know um you know, so it's this um there was somebody else out there but yeah you know you get the right one right and and you're good to go and you know who i tried to sample one time and we tried to clearing it and those bastards were bitches i sampled some led zeppelin yeah they um they don't understand rap they felt that you know they created this and they don't want nothing changed on it you know because it's gonna affect the the the, the you know, just how they 
how they want the song to be portrayed. Right, right, um, right. And there's just some songs you just can't clear, and you just you can go in and change it. You know, changing the one note here and there that's not uh, that's not uh, acceptable anymore. You know? now, now let me ask you this. Okay, last last question when it pertains to sampling. Say that song "Viva Terrado," uh, um, the one that they replayed La Raza with. Dum, right. Dum dum dum. Okay. Frank V and them used that for a song called "One Summer Night," and they just replayed the baseline, but had all original music on top of it. Somebody tried to come at Steve Yano during that time, and he said this: "You cannot copyright a baseline." And you know what? He got away with it. And it's, again, knowing your your way around, you can't copyright. Anybody can have that that baseline. Um, yeah, it's just um, there's no way around that. Yeah, and, and he goes. So we got away with it. So I was like, "Fuck!" But that was a dope song too, and and they got radio play on power. Yeah, you know. So, anyways, other than that clip, once again, I'm going to continue to ask you anything that I didn't ask you because I know, I know there's so much body of work that you've been a part of, you know. But and I want you to have the opportunity to. Well, so do I. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, I've been in the game for 35 years. A lot of the artists that I've worked with, they have to start with me. And yeah. when it's time for them to take that next step, they, they took that step. Um, I have a record that Rodney O recorded. That, that His little catch line, to the R, to the O, to the D, and Y, he did that back in 19, what was it? Um, 1983. And to hear him do it now on some of the songs, it's just like, here it is. You, you hear him doing that. Same thing with Brother Marquise from the Two Light Crew. They all had that little... A vibe or attitude that they wanted to do and they just carried them on you know on right. down the um you know, down the road um i've never believed in getting an artist um you know way um you help them because at the end of the day you're gonna get more 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 props because oh they were signed to you you had the insight to sign them and and then the insight to let them go and move on to the next okay now i'm gonna ask you this okay because i had a guy here and he said that this game is a very ungrateful game have you ever had any of the artists that you've helped, that you've managed, that you've led and directed, come back and tell you thank you? You know what? Two, Don Cisco and Juvenile Style. Really? Yes. Uh, and that was it. No, you know, no other ones have. And that's okay too. But then sometimes it's just nice to know that they you remembered and just just saying your name. It's not about um, showing respect. You know, and, and I even think then if more people did that, we have more people who are willing to go up, we get behind the scenes and promote and get the next artist up there. You know, nobody does it by themselves. Right. No, nobody does it by themselves. Nobody does. Well, you know, at least you have two. <laughs> two out of how many? <laughs> well, to so, me, the account? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of regional records. Um, a lot of people have had kids to these songs or seen them in concert and so forth, but it's, it's all short-lived because they didn't see the bigger, you know, the bigger, um, you know, the bigger picture. Essentially, you can't see it until you're, you know, until you're in it. Would you still be interested in managing somebody? If a youngster uh, uh, looks you up on, you know, Facebook and says, hey, you know what, I need you to check my music out. Say you listen to it and then you see the, okay, I think this kid's got something. Then I would work with him or her. Okay, okay. I would. Me personally, this is this is me. I would rather work with females today than males today because one thing that I've learned about a lot of 
uh, uh, male rappers, Chicano male rappers. <sighs> Once again, I'm not saying all of them, the ones that I have come across. They're not coachable. They're not coachable. They don't want to listen. Right. You know, look at it. I'm coming from an era of, I've been in the studio with Dre. When they were creating the NWA, the Easy E album, the Michelle A, the DOC, the all in the same gang album. And then I hop on over to another great studio where I'm watching Quick produce his first album, second, I mean, uh, AMG's, you know, second to none. Right. And then we all tour. I've learned so much from the, those two people right there that when I go into a session, I bring that mentality and that experience in. So when I deal with the news, a new guy today that wants to do his verse, you know, and his first take and he says, I'm cool. Nah, dude, get your ass back in there and do yeah. that. Nah, I'm, I'm cool with that. They just need some leadership, somebody who, you know, who um, can pass the information on. I mean, so all it is is just you tell uh, somebody to rap a certain way or, or change it up a little bit. They change it up and changes the, you know, the whole, um, you know, the whole layout of the song. I dealt with females and they asked me, is that okay? I need you to go back in there and do it. Okay, cool. And they stay in there and work it and work it. Then I will come over here, sit down, press play. I'm going to go walk outside and tell me what you're here. Right. They come back and they say, wow, I sound good. I said, so, <laughs> exactly. You need, you need it to warm up. A lot of guys are drunk as fuck, high as fuck. They go in there, they stutter their fucking verse, reading that off their fucking phone. And then they say, I'm cool. Right. Now you bet, you, even if you wrote it, you got to get behind it and, and, and record like, you know, like your life depended on it. You're not going to be in a fight or driving a car, you know, reading and, you know, or trying to learn how to do, <laughs> do that car, you know, drive the car. You, you know, it's just, it's a respect for the game that you're in, you know. Thank and, you. And, you know, when you get that chance, you take it, you do us right with it so that you can help somebody else out. And, you know, if you want to leave, then leave, but at least you know you did it right. Right, right. Okay. Um, other than that, um, come to the end of our interview. Cause I've asked you several times if you want to, there's things that you want to bring up. I know, I know you're holding out. <laughs> I know you're holding out and I get it. And I know some dudes are probably watching at the edge of their seat, probably thinking, I hope he doesn't say that. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm, as long as you're happy, yeah, I'm happy. You know, I'm happy. I was, had a great time and just to open up the, people's eyes about this business, you know, and, and, you know, um, um, Especially with the Latin side of things, support an artist. You know, supporting him might be able to help your somebody you really love in the game. Uh, you know, build and grow. They don't work together with with each other as they should. Work as a team, get the money they deserve, so that they can feed back into the you know into the audience, you know, into the, uh, the the community. Last question: Say there's a young kid out there, maybe a teenager. Doesn't matter what nationality he is. He can be black, white, Chicano, Filipino. And he's looking to get into the, what can he expect? What kind of advice? Being, you being a veteran, being around the world, managing one of the be biggest groups ever when it comes to the Chicano rap, what type of advice can you give him? They've got to be really serious about, about, the, about the business they're getting into and know that if they've got other people helping them, that's serious for them too. You know, you can't go in and treat it like a, it's, just a, it's just a hobby, you know, and, and you have to put the time in you know, the dedication, no matter you know, how we are addressing that, you got to put the work in. If you don't put the work in, then why should I put in the work to, to help you become a star and you don't care about it? I'd rather, you know, stay at home at night and, you know, look at a book or something, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and, and you know what? I'm glad you said it. And I want to say this. 
This is what Steve Yano shared with me about a great artist named Frank B. Now, I know Frank has recorded with Low Profile, Mr. D, and a couple of other camps. But I knew Frank uh, um, in the early 90s. I think, I believe I met him in 1992. Um, he's been here before. Uh, we were going to work together on an album. It never happened. Uh, but Steve told me this. He said, man, this guy has the talent to take over this whole genre. To take over this whole genre. And I agreed with him, and I'll tell you why. My opinion, okay? I believe when it comes to being a solo Chicano rap artist, I believe that Frank B was, is still the best to have ever done it when it comes to Chicano rap. I'm, I'm not talking about groups. I'm, talk, I'm just talking about a solo artist. And much respect to Frost, but I believe that Frank B was even a step ahead of him. Okay. Again, my opinion. Right. Okay. Uh, I believe that that first album uh, is still the best Chicano rap album out there. Um, it's been 30 years and I have yet to hear another Chicano rap album top that. Okay. Um, and I can name all the songs, you know, Keep Out of Frank B, the, you know, You Don't Stay Feeling Behind Now, Mexican Power, Hard Times. I, I, I know it. And, but here's what Steve said. And he stayed with me. He said, Frank B just never had a good head on his shoulders. He said, and I cannot be his babysitter. Here's the problem, I think, with a lot of artists. We can see a lot a lot of fucking potential a lot of talent but if they're not right up here man you're wasting your time yeah and that's the sad part you're wasting your time and it it almost hurts you because you say man i see the potential i see the future and you don't because you don't give a shit maybe they don't give, give a shit they just don't have that encouragement i mean that's a whole nother subject man like <laughs> they don't have the encouragement from home right. or, you know from the from the neighborhood uh, right you know, or they, you know, think that they're not as good, and they try and dial back so they don't overshine. Trying, you know, or trying to be a black rapper. You know, this motherfucker is just dope. You know, and, and right. let him or her, you know, be who you know be who they are. Now, other than lighter shade, because they're a group, okay, and 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 I want to respect that. But let's just say solo acts, okay, solo rappers. Who would you say is the best who have ever done it, as far as Chicano rappers? ever done it or is you know not still doing it obviously but if you were to say i think i i guess we'll narrow it down to the 90s okay, okay? other than lighter shade of brown who would you say I, that this guy was was the best of that era i got two of them. one would be alt and the other one would be don cisco okay um, a lot of people have not really had a chance to listen to Don Cisco, um, his performance and listen to any of, the, any of his albums, they're dope. And AOT could just write a song about the blue moon and the yellow sky yes. and make you yes. go outside looking for it, you know? Yes. And that yes. to me is a, 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 a true rapper. You, you grab somebody, they're listening to you for every word that you're saying and rewind it well. We have, you know, put it back and clean it again 20 million right, times. Right, you know? right, right. You know what? And I'm glad you brought that up down to school because I believe that he deserves a lot of credit. A lot of people don't bring him up. I, I'm glad you brought up AOT. You know, it, uh, he's also going to be in my documentary when he flies back down. We're going to film him cool. because he was, he said, he, he, I helped create this, you know, and and uh, he's going to be in the documentary. A lot of people ask, who's going to be in the documentary? Who's in? Well, I, get, I, I threw you a nugget. That's one. Uh, the other one, Cliff Ritchie. The other one, Murray Brunfield. Murray Brunfield, the first uh, uh, um, Chicano rap label, and it was created by a black man. Right. 
Okay, so, and you put together Lighter Shade of Brown, Chicano rap group, put together by a black man. You got to give credit where credit is due, bro. So I'm giving you your flowers. Thank you. You know, so um, with that being said, for me, it was Frank B. And I guess maybe I'm being biased because I was there and I saw it and I saw the love that Steve had for these guys, you know, and he thought it was really going to take off and it could have, and it could have, but it didn't. And you know what the crazy thing is that today, Nobody knows where Frank Lee's at. Mm. And it's sad. And it almost became like a story like Spanish Fly. There's three, guy, three guys in the group. Esther Daz, uh, uh, DJ Tricks, Esther Rich Rock, and nobody knows where Esther Rich Rock is at. Right. They haven't known of him since the 90s. You know, so, but that happens. It does. Yeah. So other than that, any shout outs you want to give? Uh, shout out to anybody who loves West Coast rap. Anyone who loves a different color guy doing the shit, um, <laughs> all the producers out there that I've worked with, all the other DJs that have worked, you know, made their way through me. Thank uh -huh. you very much, because you made me who I am today. Yeah. Um, into my family, um, you know who you are, and um, just believe in music. You know, support the music and don't be, you know, yeah, don't be scared of it. Yeah. All good. All good. Other than that, uh, there's two female rappers that come to mind that I think with what they're coming out with they're on the way up um, one of them is uh, Bella okay I support her 17 year old little female can spit fire and then the other one is Magic Girl uh, um, she's coming out with some new stuff I'm co-producing that record my boy Darren Vegas is engineering so we're behind her because we saw the talent Right. and it's going to work man it's really, really going to work. I think she's going to really make a name for herself with this new EP uh, that's coming out. So with that being said, I'm going to also want to give a shout out to my boy, Alex. I want to give a shout out to uh, Anthony. I want to give a shout out to my uh, my son, uh, B. Scandless. And um, yeah, so I started producing again. Now, the Chicano rap documentary is going to be produced solely by me. Uh, I'm not looking for rappers. I'm just doing all instrumental beats. Okay, That's all I'm doing. I'm producing that and I'm producing this new artist that uh, eventually I'm going to announce when I bring him back and I interview him here and we we have a debut here on Bodium Radio exclusive you know uh, I'll call you and you can tune in and then you can I'll tell me I want to come back and do another interview with you so hell yeah hell yeah you'll be you'll definitely be back <laughs> um, other than that shit there was something else on us. oh yeah Wednesday Wednesday I have a Chicana coming in from Brooklyn New York a Chicana. She was born out there or she was transferred out there? We're going to find out. Okay. But but I know she is, she's claiming Brooklyn, New York. So, uh, okay. Yeah, a Chicana. So I want you to ch check her out. Definitely. And then I got another guy, I believe, and I hope I don't get this wrong, he's from the IE area. I believe he just did a cut with uh, Too Short. Uh, really? Yes. Nice, nice song, uh, Latino Kid. And uh, so I'm going to have two, two guests. I want, I want to hear that too. Yeah, on Wednesday. So. Uh, make sure you guys tune in. Other than that, and then Sunday, next Sunday, I'm going to announce it. It's my birthday. Okay. I'm going to celebrate my birthday here with a very, very special guest. Okay. okay. I'm going to give people what they want, something that they enjoy. So, um, you want to come by and chill? We're going to have ceviche, aguachiles, everything, bro. All right. Sounds so, good. Hell yeah. Other than that, hey, you, you know what? I'd like to thank everybody on the live chat for tuning in. I'd like to thank everybody for uh, talking shit, everybody that, uh, that's been happy, and everybody that supports me. Much love, much respect. God bless. Have a blessed night, and I'll see you guys Wednesday.